Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Dilipan Siv, CEO and founder of Upscribe. In this episode, Dilipan shares how Upscribe helps direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands build recurring revenue, reduce churn, and increase acquisition. We then discussed why the most significant drop-off happens within the first 90 days for B2B and B2C subscription businesses, and we wrapped up by discussing the consumption challenges of building a subscription e-commerce business. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable and growing. Strategies, tactics and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Dilipan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me here. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Dilipan is the founder and CEO of Upscribe. Upscribe enables e-commerce merchants to leverage the true power of subscriptions to move on recurring transactions to build long-lasting customer relationships. Prior to founding Upscribe, Dilipan has held roles at eBay, Twitter, and most recently, Chief Revenue Officer at MoveWeb, which was acquired by Limelight. So my first question for you is, can you connect the dots? Like you've had various roles in your career. Uh, we're talking about just before the show as well, some of even in politics. What led you to found Upscribe? So long story short, this is my fourth company, fourth startup that is, um, first time founding. Um, and every startup I've worked that has been in the B2B e-commerce space. So what's really interesting for me is how do you build the right tools that provide value to merchants? Um, so I've done that, you know, whether it's on fulfillment and shipping, whether it's in the mobile optimization space and now on subscriptions. Prior to being in technology, I worked in the consumer goods industry. So early days, I actually worked with Unilever and Pepsi and other big, big companies in their emerging market expansion in Africa, Latin, uh, and, uh, and Asia. And as I was doing that work in retail, they were also thinking about, okay, what's happening in the online side. And they were a bit late to that game because they saw the rise of so many E2C merchants and e-commerce companies. And these big brands had a retail channel, but did not have an online channel. And so I first got my start looking in terms of launching their online channels and then got into working with the D2C companies directly. So subscriptions, as you can think about it, when one of the biggest ones here is replenishment and CPG companies are the bread and butter of how you think about this, whether that be a Dollar Shave Club or an Athletic Greens. And so when I thought about launching my own company, I was like, wow, what would it be, wouldn't it be interesting to 
build a company that did more than just manage subscriptions, but thought about it from a more fundamental standpoint of how do you really think about acquisition and also retention, which is part of our combo today on churn. Okay, interesting. And give us a little bit of an overview about the product that you, what is the service that you offer your clients? How does it, what do a typical client come to you and how do they use your service? Yeah. So what they do is right now for most commerce platforms, when a merchant is on a Shopify or a Magento or a big commerce or any of the solution, those solutions don't give merchants the ability to power subscriptions. So you can sell something one time, but you have to use a separate solution or build it yourself, which most merchants choose not to do because it's quite complicated. You have to use another solution in addition to the commerce platform like Shopify to power subscriptions. So that's what we do in a nutshell. We basically power subscriptions for merchants on Shopify and very soon other platforms. Cool. And you mentioned then that you're thinking about not just like subscription itself, but also then how does the acquisition side of things work and um, how does that play into the platform that you built? Yeah. So... When we look at the landscape and when we built the company a couple of years ago and started out, we saw that, that where where the industry is right now is you can do the basic things around managing your subscriptions. So you can skip a shipment, you can update your, your, your payment details, you can update your address, you can add a product. But that's all what we would consider like the table stakes, the very basic um, managing of a subscription. Where merchants are now is, okay, cool. You've given me a solution to manage. I really want to understand two things. Primarily, how do I keep the subscriber that I just acquired, right? So they're now with me for a month, two months, three months. How do I retain that customer? And how do I find more customers like that customer? Because that customer is a subscriber, they're, they're, they're arguably more loyal, more bought into what I'm selling them and or my brand as a merchant. How do I retain? So it's really the product that we're building and continuing to build is more about how do we do those two things on the trip. First, it's, it's providing a phenomenal subscriber experience. So what does that all look like in terms of the, uh, when you log into the portal and you access your subscriber experience in the portal, how do you engage the customer through email and SMS? It's then about retention. So it's engagement, retention, and then acquiring folks that look like those individuals. Cool. And, and the next question, obviously, follow up is how do you do that then? <laughs> yeah. So as a, I'll give you an example on the retention side, right? So what amazed me when we first started working in the industry and building our solution was talking to merchants. Um, you know, very often, no matter what a merchant is selling, they will have a drop-off in subscription, there'll be a churn around, say, the third or fourth shipment. It's wild, right? No matter, you could be talking about a massive AOV, average order value company, or a very small one selling, you know, whether it be a razor or like a very expensive health and wellness good. There's always churn about that third or fourth month, right? So we're like, okay, merchant, so what are you doing at that point? And we found that they're like, it's actually quite hard. One, we're not doing anything. And two, we try to do something, it's like custom coding. And so we make it easy to send, for example, a free gift on that third or fourth shipment or provide a discount that further incentivize loyalty and LTV for that subscriber. So that sounds like a very simple thing. It's actually not simple from a tech, tech, not, um, a tech uh, standpoint. 
And so that's one example of how we think about churn or retention. I'll give you another example. Cancellation flows in the DTC industry. So when you click cancel subscription, in the early days, very often, most solutions did not even collect data on why. They were like, you click cancel, you, click, you, you cancel. If you think about the experience on the New York Times or Netflix or anyone else, there's actually a full cancellation flow where you're interacting with the brand saying, hey, are you sure you want to cancel? Why are you canceling? Oh, it's the cost issue. Okay, great. If it's a cost issue, here's a discount. That did not exist in the DTC space, in e-commerce, right? And so we built out. And I'm giving you two very basic examples just to show you how the, the, it's, it's very much like low-hanging fruit here in terms of what merchants are doing as it relates to churn and retention. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned sort of the month three to four. I think this is something that's all very common um, in SaaS and software businesses as well. Um, I think even at Hotjar, we saw like in month three, that was definitely where the biggest first 90 days was when the biggest drop off uh, happened for the business. And then you would start to see like a really good um, uh, curve as well, flatten out. But the interesting that the same thing sort of translates to D2C uh, brands. How did you go about sort of noticing this? Was this just something uh, from servicing your customers? Like, do you have access to this data? And Yeah, so we, uh, we obviously um, have access to our merchant data. We obviously an- anonymize that. We don't publish this data elsewhere. It's for internally used to better our product and the service that we provide. And this is just looking at overall churn data, right? So understanding you know, the most common reasons. The common reasons may, may differ by brand, but like timing does not, right? So it's wild, right? That SaaS, D2C in these like, what you would consider wildly disparate industries, there's always the churner of the 90-day mark. What is that about? Why is that? I'll give you an example of one of our brands for Sigmatic, where, um, and I subscribe to many of our brands, one, because I love them, but also to like see how our own product works. So you got to, you know, dog food your own product, right? Yep. So I start to our products using our service. I get the shipment. And then I think on the third or the fourth shipment for Sigmatic, um, I subscribe to one of their, their mushroom coffees. They sent me a protein powder. It just so happened, Andrew, at that point, I was in the market for a protein powder. Okay. So yeah. they sent me a free gift right now. Now, what they've done is they have delighted me, right? I opened this package. I'm not expecting anything except the product I bought. But at the third, fourth month, thereabouts, they send me a free gift. It happens to be, and I, and talking to the team there, what they did was they, they know from their own data, if people buy this product, they're very likely to also buy this product. It's not complicated. It's not ML machine learning. It's like very simple, yeah. like, okay, they have the data and at low fire, right? But it's wild to me that that kind of it, enabling that action is not a standard thing that most merchants do. Yeah. Right. Which is not, it's, and it's not complicated, right? So for us, it's thinking about what are these enterprise, and we see this, this is actually very common when you're an enterprise Shopify plus brand. Many of these brands have built this custom with their agencies. They've like, okay, coded in this piece. How do we bring that same technology to the SMB and mid market? Two questions. What did you say was mushroom tea? Or coffee. Mushroom coffee. So Four Sigmatic is a mushroom coffee brand. What type of mushrooms? Um, mixed. Lion's mate, 
Magic mushrooms, yeah. No, magic mushrooms. Uh, All right, help. So, so the next thing then is, I was like, I was thinking month three to four, you incentivizing by the giving discounts or a gift. Do you think this is like a solution to the problem? Uh, And why did you think this would be like the solution to the problem? In the sense that, like, in my mind, just trying to think, like, what would be the reasons for somebody wanting to turn month three to four? Uh, is typically at least from the SaaS like space that they haven't really been onboarded effectively to the product, so they haven't established that core value and getting what they want out of the product. So perhaps maybe the reason the C space is they just really that's not the product that they want and they're not getting what they want out of it. So do you see a difference in sort of this incentivization? And uh, if so, how? And if anything, maybe are you taking money off the table by offering discounts uh, then to those that would have stuck around anyway? Yeah. Great question. And so I think what we described right now is the kind of the V1 of which what, what a merchant can do. Ideally, you spoke to it actually. What is the what is the onboarding for a subscriber look like is really important, right? Mm-hmm. And very often when we look at the merchants and the email campaigns that they've set up, there are none. There's no yeah. onboarding campaign for arguably your most loyal customer. Okay, well. If you're not letting them know what value they have gotten by subscribing beyond the fact that just getting a product, that product that's subscribed to on a, on a monthly or every third, 60 days, what is the, what is the, um, if you're not getting the value, why would you think the subscriber is not going to churn at some point, right? Yeah. The default would almost be that they would, right? So I described that, that, that quick action as almost like the first step, but if you were to think about a more robust program in subscription, you would have an onboarding flow that would communicate value, right? Yeah. And learn like whether it's quiz or collect data so that when you are doing that quick action or what we call a cohort action in that third or fourth month, it's actually relevant to what that customer or cohort wants. So it might be a discount. It might yeah. be a free gift. It might be uh, rewards points. Like there's a number of options here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I see like the the free gift, like you mentioned, sort of the the protein powder. You win the market for it. Perhaps you can order it again. I can see that helping as well with like net uh, net retention as well and expansion for existing accounts as well, quite nicely. Um, but yeah, just wondered what your your thoughts were and like why you decided on this to be in with maybe there's something that you've actually seen from the data. Um, and the onboarding space, it's an interesting one when you think about it, like from a D two C perspective. I think. In a software space, you're a little bit fortunate that you can a lot of times measure the value that you're delivering your customers uh, quite a little bit more practically. So talk about this one a lot, but Heidi Gibson from GoDaddy shared their story around like their uh, website builder. And essentially in the early days, like they were trying to figure out like how to increase retention. And what they found out was, okay, like people don't come to us to build websites. They come to us to get bookings, to drive sales, to uh, like book tickets or whatever for their customers. And they were fortunate that they could actually measure that action. So, uh, and then they started seeing, okay, the people that do the most of these actions, what were they doing before? Oh, they connect their social accounts. That should be part of our onboarding. Let's get everyone to do that. In the D2C space, I think it's quite a lot more challenging because like you mentioned, for example, like uh, Harry's or whatever, like you're getting your razors or your, uh, your phone. You can't really measure has somebody actually used it or have they got value out of it or... So like, what are your thoughts from that perspective? Like when you're thinking going into an activation program for companies now, how could they think about like, what are the actions they want to be 
promoting and teaching their customers or their users uh, to experience the most out of their products? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question because in the D2C space, there is a digital component and a physical component, whereas in software, it's just primarily digital, yeah. correct? And so you have an opportunity, but also a challenge there, right? And so what I see many brands do, but again, it's more so enterprise is they are working with their fulfillment partners to what does the unboxing packaging experience look like? So packaging is the one thing in terms of brand, mm-hmm. yeah. also in the unboxing experience. And again, to be quite clear, actually, we haven't even gone down this road that we plan to do in the future, which is in our roadmap is if you think about it for a physical good, the majority of the experience is actually not engaging with the brand online. It's actually with the product in their home yep. or where they live, right? And so if that's the case, how do we leverage, for example, QR codes, right? Around, that's a very, like now post-pandemic, that's actually a very much more common way of interacting with the brand than it was prior, right? Through menus and the rest. Yeah. And so... When you think about packaging, when you think about a QR code, what are the ways in the unboxing experience that are really important? That's what we're thinking through. And again, this is further afield. It's a little... Yeah, I'm just great something now with you, like going through the, the stodics as, yeah. as well, because it, it is, it's like, it's a parallel universe and there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of things that differ uh, from that perspective. When you raise, we just name, what, name one more thing too as well, Andrew, which is really important here. So what's really... Uh, interesting and specific that's different around um, physical goods that's not true for digital is consumption, right? So right now, for example, when I when one of our brands says we're going to sell something on a 30, 60, 90 day basis, I'm assuming that every customer consumes something on a 30, 60 or 90 day frequency. I'm not testing that. Right. I might have like my product and R and D team do that, yeah. but how do I get more intelligent about what is the actual consumption pattern? Right. And we have something we're going to be launching actually next in the, in the coming quarter that we're super excited about that will actually get to understand from customers. What is their consumption look like? So you can then tie a frequency to the consumption. Cause right now what we're saying to, to subscribers is you have to buy this in a 30, 60, 90 or buy it one time. There's no other option, which is a merchant-centric way of viewing consumption of goods, right? Yeah. And with remote work and travel, that is much less of the case now. For sure. Yeah, that's interesting as well. And it goes into sort of like the move a little bit towards usage-based pricing models as well, becoming uh, a little bit more popular. I think when you mentioned that as well, I think... I don't know if it's Amazon that does it, where you have the little buttons around your house and then you can like order things as you go along as you need them. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it didn't, it didn't go anywhere, but it, it, I think you raise a really great point because that to me, to suck in my head ever since that was like first launched many years ago and then failed. Yeah. Because I think the potential around um, the dash but if yeah we don't know this because we don't have the data and 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 jeff bezos when he was at the company would never leave the data yeah um i order quite a few products from d2c merchants but i order quite a quite a few from amazon i think that's very common to do both amazon and d2c direct right i generally am actually just going into my order history in uh the amazon app and i'm clicking buy it again i'm not subscribing to that product why 
Because I travel, for example. So the lotion that I buy from one of our brands, Ursa Major, I actually buy and I buy it again, right? Mm-hmm. I just go in and, and reorder that product. Now, there's going to be more that, what, that, that, that I think is there in the industry around thinking about being much more customer-centric around what does consumption look like and how do you buy? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think about it like for my own personal consumption at home and whatever, there's a lot of things that I would love to just automate. But you just don't do because they're unpredictable in terms of when you can. And I think there's certain products, it's okay to be able to automate them because if you can have, if you have a surplus, it's okay. But like groceries and your general groceries that you have on a weekly basis, I even try to do it now. I get boxes and then I end up like having leftover fruits to go to bed and stuff just because it's, you, you eat out one night and then you have the leftover meal in the fridge and whatever. It's trying to figure that, that right balance, but definitely an interesting challenge, I think. Uh, for people and I know there's probably a lot of people trying uh, to solve this at the moment. The other thing you mentioned as well is around frequency and I think that's also like a big challenge when it comes to building a habit. Um, if we took a look as well, like Neuriel had a great book called Hooked um, and uh, called Hooked and especially like focusing on, I think it's you need to have within 90 days, people need to be doing an action within 90 days for it to become a habit and if that extends beyond that part, it becomes very, very difficult for people to create a subscription or use the product on a regular basis. Yeah. And I think Zillow was one of the ones that did a really interesting case on this where they realized, okay, we sell houses. Like you don't buy a house every 90 days. So how do we get people to like establish us as the brand to go to in the next time they want to create a house? And one of the things they generated was this uh, like house evaluation, house valuation tool that you plug in your address. It sends you like a monthly update or whatever it is on what your valuation of your house is. Uh, and that's how they stay top of mind because, okay, like it's cool. I've bought a house now. I want to see like, am I making money on it? Am I losing money? Uh, what can I get for it? So next time I'm going to come back to Zillow. And I think that's a really, really interesting thing. Also, perhaps to think about from a D2C perspective is like, what are these brands thinking about in terms of like saying top of mind, maybe more in a digital format that they can have that interaction more on a regular basis, but that it has, has somehow strong ties to their products so that they create that relationship there. On autopilot. Are you seeing any brands doing something interesting like that? In terms of doing the work around, um, sort of remind me, what, what, what part of that are you playing? So what Zillow did in terms of like the home valuation, uh, yeah. which is, is not really their core product, but it was just something that they added onto their product to increase sort of the frequency of usage of their products. Yeah. yeah. So the examples that I think of, so, so Zillow is a very high average order value. Obviously, it's a home um, yep. um, in this market, especially. So where we see that more often is in similar high AOV. So I would say, you know, in the Casper sort of mattress type play, it's like, how are you layering in more frequent purchases and or engagement through lower price goods or other rewards or points, right? In yep. other ways, very often you'll find a company like Away Travel launch not only a content arm, but launch uh, um, a line of accessories that you can buy maybe as a box, right? Of like, here is a travel box that you might, you know, discovery around where I might go and what I might do. That's not as pricey as the luggage because you not, how often do you buy away luggage, right? You'd buy a suitcase maybe every few years, tops. Yeah. So I think it's true for those types of companies in in how they think about um what is so special about away luggage? I've heard a lot about it. I've never checked them out because uh, you mentioned Casper as well. I've, I've seen sort of the hype of being able to send a mattress and, uh, but yeah. I is think they've, they've done, 
they've done a, a way, I think it's done a good job. They've, they've really gone into content, which I think has been great. It actually is a discovery tool around where to go in certain respects for, for their, their companies. Casper, I, I know less about, um, I'm not a, uh, a consumer of either company, but I've that, and I think it's also gone for this very, very clear sort of like Gen Z millennial kind of audience, right? So they've targeted that audience in a different way from when, you know, my parents were going to travel agents and I, you know, for me, I was a booking.com Expedia person, right? Yeah. doing, And then the next, next iteration is for this generation is like, oh, I'm going to a brand and they sell luggage. But, you know, imagine a world where I'm a Tumi, Tumi customer, Tumi luggage, never had a content arm, right? Yeah. The way it happened now. Yeah. Times are changing. Uh, it, it, that was another interesting though, when you mentioned sort of Gen Z, um, from what you're seeing from your perspective, do you see sort of any differentiation when it comes to churn and retention from your customers from like the different markets and that they're servicing? So I think like from a B2B place, it's very, you have a very clear distinction between like, uh, SMBs and enterprises or SMB mid-market enterprise. You can see that in the churn data as well. Do you yeah. see any sort of specific segments uh, and uh, like the order value aside, because I think that might be like this difference between the enterprise and the SMB sort of uh, analogy. Do you see any sort of interesting segments where churn retention is particularly high or retention is particularly high in, in individual segments in the DTC space? Yeah, I, we, and we don't, I don't have the data to prove this yet, but here's the directional um, sort of angle that I would go with this. Um, and this is based on, Partly anecdotal, partly looking at directional data, which is um, brands that own their channel. So as an example, many of our brands forced or choose to also do Amazon and not just D2C mm-hmm. versus just selling D2C and being like, you can only buy this thing online from us directly. It's the only way you do it and have very strong brand affinity. They very often will have the lowest churn rates, irrespective of the vertical that they're in. Now, I know a part of that just because it's going to sound obvious, right? But it's really borne out in what we're seeing in our merchant base, where if you have the ability to also buy an Amazon, you're going to get some churns because they're going to whatever channel is going to make the most sense for them. It might be retail. I'm going to buy, oh, retail. Oh, it didn't come in time to shipment from the D2C um, thing that I mm-hmm. bought. I'm going to go to the store and buy it or buy it from Amazon, right? So there's a lot of churn just from like the, you have so many channels and don't have the uh, customer uh, profile online, right? So some of our brands are like, no, the only way to buy this product is from us directly. You can choose to do that. But then they're, it, that they are spending a ton of money and have built over time a very strong brand affinity to being like, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. And they own the channel and they own the medium and the messaging and everything. Uh, yeah, that is interesting. I think that's one thing. I don't know if we've actually touched much on this on the show. It's probably something we need to speak to a few more experts. So if anyone listening, you have any recommendations, let us know. But really is what like the impact of brand is on churn retention. And uh, because it's one of those things, it's so hard to measure. Uh, like it's, it's very, very subjective to a large degree. And I think there are different uh, measurement tools you can use, but that's one to measure in terms of acquisition. I know there's like a lot of different tests and studies that people are trying to do and uh, brand affinity and stuff like that, but how that translates then to retention, I think, is definitely another plan. My assumption as well would be similar to to what you're seeing in the data is that it does have a big impact, but it's just one of those things very very difficult to to prove. Uh, That's right. 
Let's uh, jump quickly as well. I see we're almost running up on time. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario. Question I ask every guest. You join a new company. Churner retention is not doing well at all at this company. The CEO comes to you and says, you have 90 days to turn things around. You're in charge. What do you do? The catch is, you're not going to tell me. I'm going to go speak to customers or look at data and start there. You're just going to pick something, a strategy or tactic that you've seen work at a previous company and run with that blindly, hoping it works and it applies and works at this company. What would you do? So it does not include speaking to customers or looking at data. It's just like gut call, we're going to go do this. There's something you've seen that's been effective before, yeah. Yeah, and this is a D2C merchant, correct? It can be D2C merchant or it can be to be resource, like just... Uh... Yeah. Um, interesting. So uh, I'm going to go very left field here. Um, what I've seen work well, this is actually true for B2C and B2B, and I've, um, I've, I've executed this play before, is I have done roundtables with our highest uh, revenue merchants because very often you find in... What, what people find the most compelling is meeting peers in their industry because networking is not possible in these big conferences and definitely not in remote work, right? And so very often what we find very helpful is, yeah, we can go here and host a dinner or do something, but if I can connect you with someone in your industry for a potential job opportunity for either one of you down the road, super helpful and valuable, right? And they know that we then, we then that's not... That's not even about our product or our solutions. I'm not selling anything. Yeah. Right. I'm just trying to provide value. So for me, it's like where my mind go is how can I, what's the quickest thing I can execute on that provides value out the gate that doesn't try to sell us. And that's why you're building a good relationship as well. And it somehow goes back to sort of the brand uh, thing, because in one way it comes back to the company and uh, they associate that with you. Nice. Uh, what's one thing that you know today about channel retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? Hmm. It's uh, the psychology of it, meaning this. Uh, it's almost like you have to be playing the long game and as humans, we're not wired to play the long game. So unless you're building in systems to do it out the gate, you will lose, right? Because we're wired to naturally be thinking acquisition. What's the new merchant? What's the new merchant? What's the new merchant? So, and, and it's funny, I mean, you've, you've probably seen this more than I have, right? Many of our merchants um, at some point in time, seeing this um, with the cookie issue with Apple and, and, and Google next year, we're like, oh, we need to build in retention teams, right? And the hard part with retention teams is that you have to always be thinking with a long-term mindset and as humans were not wired that way. So unless from the top at the CEO, executive, and board level, people had as a focus, it doesn't get done. So that to me is the biggest thing is that is that I, have to, I have to almost like think outside of my own head, right? To be able to do the churn retention well, if that makes sense. No, it makes absolute sense. And definitely, I think it needs to come top down, have full alignment within the organization. But typically, unfortunately, in most companies, like there comes a time when there's this oh shit moment or uh, somebody decides to like model out and see when our growth ceiling is going to happen. And then it's, oh, it's like six months from now, like we better turn this shit around. Uh, so yeah, uh, I can definitely agree and align with that as well. It's something like, it, it's a hard thing to do that. I think, especially when you're starting to build out a business, because uh, if you don't have that initial like growth and acquisition to start, like 
retention doesn't matter in the long run. But at the same time, you want to make sure that you're balancing your efforts so that uh, it doesn't come back to bite you in the end and you end up building a more long-term sustainable business too. Um, well, Denipan, it's been a pleasure hosting you today. Any, are there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with, like anything they should be aware of or how can they keep up to speed with your work? Um, you can find us online at Upshow.io. We're on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. We post there quite often. Um, quite a bit of what we talked about is around retention because it's a huge, huge topic for us in the subscription world. Uh, and thank you for your work in this area because at, to my last point, it's not intuitive for many people. So, you know, having folks focus on this part of it in the long game is really important. Awesome. Yeah, well, we'll definitely make sure to leave all the links we mentioned and discussed in the show notes if you want to check that out do so uh, later, but thank you so much for joining and I wish you best of luck now going forward. Thanks so much, Andrew. Take care. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, Subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.